Well, good morning. So glad you're with us today. Uh, We're excited for another day to be together as a church, and uh, we're excited because we are continuing our series called More from the Mount. Uh, We started it last week, and we grew in this understanding uh, that Jesus calls us salt and light. And I think that's so important for us to understand is who we are. And Jesus wanted us to get that first, an understanding of who we are as his kids, that we are salt, that we add flavor to the life of people around us, that we are the flavor of Jesus in this world. That's an exciting understanding that he's given us, that we are the ones that represent him, but also that we are his light, uh, that we are a city on a hill that can not be hidden, that he's given us this light to shine, that we go into situations and we go into circumstances and we add his light. That's what we do. We light up the room when we walk in and we've been around folks. We know how this is that are those room darkening curtains, but what we are is the light of Christ and we are made to shine. So, so exciting for that. And uh, today we're going to continue on our series more from the Mount. And again, last week we prefaced this with that understanding of salt and light, but also God's love for the law. Jesus's love for the law. And this is important because, again, this is this moral law. This is this understanding of of an operational base that we have with each other, uh, that we should have with each other, that we know a lot of times is missing within this world because we do live in a broken world. But Jesus was adding an emphasis on the law, that he came to fulfill the law, which means he came to live the law out to the fullest, that he was here to abide by the law. And he was here to show us and give us an example of what that looks like to live by the law. And we're excited today because we're going to go a little bit further in this. We're going to we're going to go a little bit further in, in the deeper understanding that Jesus wanted us to get. And uh, it's exciting in that that we understand that he said, listen, I came to fulfill the law, but also I want us to go deeper in this law because there's some things that I want you to have in your heart. There's some things that I want you to have in your heart and your mind and things that I want you to be to, to be governed by and to live by. And as Jesus goes deeper with this, we see his heart for us and, he, and we see that he wants our heart to be tuned to him. And there's some things that he said along the way Matthew 5, 21 through 37, uh, that's very important for us to understand this morning. It's important because Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I tell you. And there's some things that he talked about here, some some topics uh, in, in society, but things that have been passed down from generation to generation that people have had or have heard others talk about. But what Jesus wanted to do is take it a step further. And that's what we're going to do this morning, is take it just a step further and get some new understanding and some, some great insight on the heart of God. And the things that we're going to talk about today are things uh, that can be extremely hurtful, things that can be, uh, you know, hot button issues in our lives, things that, that have caused a lot of pain, that have caused a lot of heartache over the years. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to approach these topics, these, these conversational pieces that Jesus used with his disciples and those listening in on that Sermon on the Mount. And we're going we're gonna to approach it from a way where we see the heart of the Father in this, that we see that God loves us so much that he did send his only begotten son to give us an example of one who fulfilled the moral law, those 10 commandments, that law to the fullest, but also someone that that wanted to to display his love, but also have his love displayed in and through us. And Jesus goes deeper for a reason, because he wants us, you know, our hearts to be in the right place before him. So this morning, I want you to make sure that you understand that, that that what we're sharing today, yeah, it may be some hard things to hear, maybe some pretty hurtful things to hear, but we are hearing God's love in and throughout all of it. And it is so important for us to hear, to feel, and to understand this this morning before we do anything else, okay? Okay. 
So what we're going to do is we're going to look at a couple of those things where Jesus said, hey, well, you've heard it said, but I'm going to tell you. You've heard it said, but I'm going to tell you. So we're going to start with this. You've heard it said, don't break your oath. You've heard it said, don't break your oath. But I tell you, don't swear at all. Don't swear at all. We, we, we see Jesus talking uh, from the standpoint of vows, you know, the, these oaths that we swear by, these things that, that we, we say that I, I promise, I promise by this, I promise by that. So we see Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Again, you have heard it said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one white or black hair. You can't do any of that. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Let's get a little bit of understanding here, a little bit of context. There's been throughout the years a, a true deterioration, seriously, a breakdown of truth in society. Like it is today, you look around you and you see that. You see that truth is not something that runs rampant, but deception is something that runs rampant within our society. And Jesus was seeking to go a little bit deeper in this age-old saying where, where folks would talk about these vows, these oaths that they would take before God. Why? Because... Folks couldn't just make promises on their own. These promises had to be attached to something or someone. And we look at what Jesus is saying here. He's like, don't promise by God. Don't promise by Jerusalem. Don't promise by anything. You can't even promise by your own life because I'm the one who's created you. Think about this. You're not even your own. You're mine. You can't promise by anything. Simply what he's saying is let yes be yes and let no be no. Jesus was telling us not to swear by God specifically because you don't want to misrepresent him. And you again, who are you by yourself? Instead, Jesus was saying this, and you've seen this on your screen before you, that Jesus was saying, be truthful in all things. You can see that. Truthful in all things. What does this mean? To be full of truth. To be full of truth. To be full of truth. And I know this is hard sometimes when you see so much deception in this world and you want to fall prey to deception. I get it. Sometimes you're not filled with the truth like you should be. Sometimes you wish you could, but you're just not. But he's challenging us. Look, be truthful. Be full of truth in everything that you do. Don't fall to deception. Don't be filled with lies, but be filled with the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the light. Be filled with me. Be filled with what I represent. Be truthful. But he also said this, be trustworthy in all ways. So be truthful in all things, but be trustworthy in all ways. Be worthy of someone's trust. Now, that's hard to do when you've walked through life. You know that people let you down. You know that people have broken your trust. And sometimes when you look around, you don't even want to trust anyone because you've been so broken and so hurt by life circumstances. But Jesus is saying, look, you yourself, if you want to change this thing, you be someone who is trustworthy, that is worthy to be trusted, someone that is filled with trust so that others can look at you and say, you know what? I can identify with this. I can get with this person. This person represents Christ in the right way. And the last thing he said that was so important on this point, on this understanding, is make your words count. Make your words count. Let your yes be yes. 
and let your no be no. Listen, you don't have to swear by anything. You remember that growing up when you were a kid, people would be like, well, I swear to God. I'll swear to God. Listen, no, you don't have to do that. You're not supposed to. Or you say, I, I swear on my right foot that I am telling. You don't have to swear by yourself. You just let your yes be yes, and you let your no be no. You have character in what you say and do. Nothing else should matter if you say yes or no. Let's go back to the days of the old handshake that worked, you know? Let's just be honest. Be honest. Listen to me. Anything beyond yes or no leads to deception, not truth. That's what Jesus was saying here. Anything beyond yes or no leads to deception, not truth. Just be honest. Don't mince, don't mince words. Don't beat around the bush. Rather, a simple yes or no answer. And let people believe you because of the character and the integrity that you have. So the ability to be honest with oneself and to be true to others will be the determining factor on how well we handle the next topic of conversation that Jesus brought up to his disciples and those listening. Now, again, if we could just be honest, you know this is so important. If we could just be honest with ourselves, it would change the way that life operates around us. Everybody could be honest. And when we think about this next topic that Jesus talked about, honesty is so key, especially with oneself. Jesus said this, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, don't have lust in your heart. Now, I'm paraphrasing what he said here, but he says, you've heard it said throughout the years, don't commit adultery. But I'm telling you this. Listen to me here. Listen to me here. Don't have lust in your heart. Jesus is getting to the heart of things here. Listen, Matthew 5, 27 through 30. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, look, this goes both ways. This is him and her. This isn't just him. We know that that men and women alike can have a lustful eye. And we'll define this more in just a moment where it makes sense, okay? But we know it goes both ways. And listen to this. Jesus is going to get real with you here. Are you ready? If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Well, that's a little scary, Jesus. Thank you for giving us that type of imagery here where uh, we're plucking out eyeballs. Listen, it gets even a little bit better here, okay? It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Jesus is getting real with this here. Listen, and if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. You got to remember this. It is not God's desire or plan for your life for you to end up in hell. God's desire and plan for your life is that you be with him forever in heaven. And Jesus came to pave that way. And Jesus is saying here, listen, it is better for you to lose a part of your body than to lose your heart, to lose your soul, to lose your place in heaven because of the decisions that you make here on earth. See, we don't serve a dictator. We serve someone That is a theocracy, which means it's based around God. But it's this understanding that we choose to love him. We choose to serve him. And Jesus is talking about deep heart issues. Again, he's saying that you've heard it said, don't do this, this big polarizing thing called adultery. But I'm telling you to make sure that you don't even have lust in your heart that you don't have lust in your heart. Jesus is getting so specific for us for a reason so that he can cut to to the chase, cut to the heart of the matters to make sure that we make the right decisions in our heart. Jesus was hard pressed on honesty with oneself. Again, 
if we could just be honest. He was talking about honesty and an ordered private life. He had a strong understanding and emphasis in his ministry that what's inside of you counts more than what's happening on the outside. An outward thing is just a manifestation of what's really happening inside. Jesus is getting real about our heart. He's getting real about what's going on inside of us. So important. Jesus is talking about lust here. Now, now let's define lust a little bit more because a lot of times we, we only equate lust with sexual things. But lust is an intense longing, like a craving. I don't know about you guys, but I get hungry pretty often, as you can tell. I get hungry pretty often. And a lot of times, you know, we can lust over things like, I don't know, maybe a, a nice Snickers bar. Are you with me on this? A Snickers bar. I would love to have a Snickers bar right now. I would love, remember when we were talking about salt and light and we are talking about putting the salt on the steak? Man, think about that. I, I can lust over steak. Are you with me? Are you picking up what I'm putting? Are you smelling when I'm stepping? Listen, listen, I'm talking about things that are cravings. And we can crave vehicles. We can crave homes. We can crave jobs. We can crave other people's lives. Like another definition for lust, a personal inclination, like a wish. We can wish that we had this. We can wish that we had that. But we also know that it's a usually intense or unbridled sexual desire. And this lust thing is a real deal for our hearts. And Jesus wants to get real about our hearts. And he's saying, this is what he's saying here. And you can see this on your screen. What's going on in the inside is more critical than the outside. What's going on in your heart is more critical than what others may see on the outside, especially when we think about this act of adultery. That is the end result of what has started within one's heart. That has started within one's heart. Jesus is looking at your heart. And he's telling you that what's inside will eventually influence the outside. See, we've got to understand this about lust. Lust deals in desire. Lust deals in desire. So the question I have for you, what do you desire? Gratification of the flesh or fullness of the spirit? What do you desire this morning? Gratification of your flesh to accumulate things, to, to, to appeal to the senses of your taste, maybe even your thoughts? Or, or do you desire, do you desire with me this morning, fullness in the Spirit? Where your desires are, your heart will be. Where your desires are is where your heart will be. And this makes perfect sense when we think of it in the context of James 1, 13 through 15. Okay, this makes perfect sense because lust grows into things. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Do you think about this? That our evil, like we're naturally, we're naturally away from God because we're born into a world of sin. But God's idea is that we would be supernaturally attached to him. And he doesn't, he doesn't tempt us with things. Because he stays the same always and forever. We are tempted by our own desires in this life. And this is important that James helps us understand this, that we are enticed and we are dragged away by these desires. But listen to this, verse 15, and we're going to go to 16 as well. Then after desire is conceived, think about that. We're all smart here in this room, aren't we? We understand this, okay, that there is a conception 
I remember growing up, you know, especially in, in, in the church that I grew up in, uh, you know, churches, I should say, growing up, just in the church at large, is that they, they were crazy sometimes. They'd be, oh, well, if you hold hands, you're going to get pregnant. Listen, let's be real with this. We all know how you get pregnant, okay? And we also all know that things grow inside of you, that, that this child grows inside you, but also to the negative that lust grows inside of you. Because it's planted through an evil desire and then it is conceived and then it grows. But listen to what it does. It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. You see a legacy begin from lust. You see a legacy begin. Look at that. You see that transition that it starts. It starts inside and there is a conception that takes place. And it gives birth to sin, and then sin, if you will, mates with it again. And in full grown, it gives birth to death. Death, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Outside of Him, we die. With Him, we live forever. Listen, don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters, is what James says. Do not be deceived. Deception is so strong within this world in which we live. I've been deceived. You've been deceived one way or another. Deception can be in small ways and deception can be in big ways. But we know that when we believe the lie, when we fall for the lust of the flesh, that it gives birth to sin and sin will eventually give birth to death. Do not be deceived. Don't think that it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. Don't think that it well, it's just affecting me. No, it's affecting everyone around you, and it will affect you for generations to come because you will see death be born out of this sin that starts in the heart with lust. Jesus is saying, the last part of this is, I want to be in your heart. He made an emphasis on the parts of the body and the sin that they could, what the sin could do to these parts of the body. He says that it's better to chop it off. And what he's saying here is he wants us to, if you will, remove, to chop out. I know that's kind of, kind of a little gruesome, but to chop it, to, to take out our heart, if you will, and give it to him so that he can give it back to us whole and complete. We want to make it to heaven with everything. We don't want to make it to heaven with pieces missing all around us. We want to make it to heaven with all of us together, every part of us together with Him, giving ourselves to Him completely. We want to let Him fix it. We want to let Him maintain it. We want to get there whole and complete. So important for us. But lust robs your body of the fullness that God desires for your life. If you're not careful, you will be robbed of the members of your body, the things that could bring so much more to his kingdom if we allow lust to become sin and to become full grown. So we've all seen the effectiveness of the enemy pertaining to the desires of our minds and of our hearts even, and when they don't line up for God's best for us. But what really breaks God's heart is when we do succumb to that temptation and it leads to broken relationships and broken marriages. And we see this progression, don't we? We see where it started with, you know, keeping our our promises to Him, you know, this understanding in our hearts that we say yes and that we say no, that we have truth within our lives. And we see that when we don't believe lies, we don't fall to temptation, we don't fall to the lusts of the heart, and we don't die in this thing. But we do see on the other side of it, when we do what happens, something 
dies. And we see this, that Jesus said, you have heard it said that divorce is okay with paperwork, right? You know, you've heard of that where they file papers for divorce and they receive the the, the agreement that here's what we're going to do to separate ourselves from each other. But I tell you, divorce robs the future of the other. Divorce robs the future of the other. Matthew 5, 31 through 32. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, again, this goes both ways, makes her a victim of adultery. And anyone who marries, excuse me, marries a divorced woman commits adultery. See, Jesus is, is painting a picture here and trying to help us get this understanding of what this looks like. What this marriage relationship looks like. Now, over the past uh, probably six months or so, I've kind of got this imagery in my mind as, you know, just been walking with people through life and doing premarital counseling and fun stuff like that, too. Um, this imagery that, that what we, we see, you know, when you, when you see a husband and wife stand before you at the altar, a lot of times we just see them, too. And, you know, we see the minister behind them getting ready to, to do the vows and pronounce them man and wife and all that fun stuff. But, you know, I was thinking about it as I was standing there and just looking at couples, but also just talking through stuff with folks, that, that what, what, what was really happening is not that there's just two people holding hands, but there's two people holding God's hand in the middle. You see, all of this, this idea for this, the idea for all of this was an understanding that, that God was trying to help us get this picture and this understanding, okay? That he was trying to help us get this picture and this understanding that as believers, listen, this is how you're to operate as believers. And when you come into a Christian marriage, a Christian union together, you're saying to each other that I will hold the hand of God as I am holding the hand of the other. It's a visual that you get. And as soon as one or the other begins to let go of the hand of God, we see things change in the relationship, don't we? We see things creep in. We see things come in from the left to right, you know, front to back, all over. And it's the influence of the enemy on the relationship. Look, he hates marriage. He hates godly marriage. He hates a godly family. And what does he want to do? Nothing but tear it apart. How do we keep it together? By holding his hand together. As soon as one lets go of his hand, they think they're letting go of the hand of the other, but really they're letting go of the hand of God, the one who keeps them together, who keeps them grounded, who keeps them connected. And the enemy tries so hard to rip us away, to help us to believe the lust of the flesh, to believe what the eyes say, to believe even what the heart says. He helps us not to say yes or no, but to waffle around and swear by this and swear by that. He hates marriage. He loves divorce. Why? Because in the very beginning, God's idea was to help us become one flesh. And when I say it robs the other of the future, what it does is this. When you divorce someone or someone divorces you, it rips you apart because God designed for you to be one flesh. All the enemy wants to do is divide and conquer us. He wants to rip us apart. He wants to obliterate us because when he does that, he can speak things and we believe it as truth. When it is lies, it is deception. He wants to rip us apart. And when divorce happens, because God's idea that we would leave and cleave, that we become one flesh, when he rips us apart, he is one in this way because then he can speak whatever he wants over our lives. And 100% of the time, it's a lie. It's deception. It's him 
so angry with God still that he wants to ruin God's kids. And when you hold God's hand, and you think you're holding the other, but when you hold God's hand, you will be able to stay together. See, what Jesus was saying here is that I hate divorce. Now, this is strong. Why does he hate divorce? Not because he hates you, but because he loves you. He loves you, and he does not want his kids to be torn apart in any way whatsoever. He loves you. He adores you. You are his beloved. All he wants is for you to sit upon his lap. He wants you just to be there with him and to love on him. And when you are broken and when you are torn apart, it breaks his heart. So he says in Malachi 2.16, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her, to overwhelm her with cruelty. Or divorce your husband in this way too. With cruelty, says the Lord of the heaven's armies. So guard your heart and do not be unfaithful to your wife. Do not be unfaithful to your husband. It hurts him because it breaks us apart. That's why he hates it. What's also great that Jesus says that I can soften your heart, though. Matthew 19, 8, Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. You hear what he's saying here? He permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. Like I said before, God's idea was for us to be one flesh. One flesh, one heart. Not a hardened heart, but one that is soft towards him and soft towards the other. And when we think about this, we think about this, that God can soften your heart. Jesus said, I can soften your heart if you give it to me. If you let me have it, I will soften your heart. I will repair things. I will put it back together. And I love this too. Jesus, you know, he's saying here, listen, there's a second chance through the Lord There's a second chance through me, if you allow me to be the Lord of your life, to rule, to govern, and to reign, that there is a second chance. And I love this. This is the message we herald as a church. Romans 8, 1 through 2. This is a message that we own. Again, Romans 8, 1 through 2. This is a message that we want to just let everybody know. And it's the first few words just, you know, just make this message so real to all of us. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Again, we're talking about divorce and we can't help what's happened in the past. We can't help what's happened in the past. We can't help what's happened 10 minutes ago, five minutes ago. You can't help that. There's nothing you can do about that now. If you are choosing to give your heart to him and to walk with him going forward, he's saying there's no condemnation past this point. You can't help what you've done or what's been done to you, but I can help you as we walk forward together because listen, there's no condemnation in me. There's no condemnation in me. There's an opportunity for you to be in right standing with God through me. I don't condemn you. I redeem you. I am the redeemer. I am the one that will give you life. Again, he says, there's a second chance through me. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. A new understanding of of an operational base that you have the, the law of the Spirit that gives life. The law of the Spirit that gives life to you. You know, when all these things happen to us in life, we can end up at a point that we never thought we would. At a point of anger. Right? You know what I'm saying? At a point of anger. And and, and Jesus, he, he talks about this. 
very, very frankly, because this is so important for us to understand when we feel like, you know, you can't trust people, when you feel like there's no one truthful in your life, and when you've been broken into pieces by the decisions that others have made over you, when you feel like you are worthless, you are tattered, that you are just something to be thrown away, you get angry. When you've been so hurt, you've been so frustrated, you've been so let down, you get angry. Jesus has something to say about this. He says, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, do not be angry. Now, we know there's probably not any murderers in the room this morning. If so, you may have gotten away with it. But the thing is this. We know that that, that's a big ticket item. But Jesus is saying, look, you got, you got, listen, you got to check your heart on this. Because if you're angry, something will die. And what will it be? Matthew 5, 21 through 26 You have heard it said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, that means you are empty, you are nothing, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus is getting real here. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, uh, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, that someone has something against you, or you have something against someone else, leave your gift in front of the altar right away, he says. First go and be reconciled and come back to offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who has taken you to court. See, he's saying if you could if you could settle things even before this, because when it gets into the courts, it's out of out of your hands because then you've given over to someone else to judge you on this, right? Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may, may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid every penny, which actually couldn't happen because there's no way you can pay a debt when you're in prison. See, when you think about this anger thing, it starts so small but can get so big so quickly in such a way that you will do something, you will say something, you will find yourself in a place that you can never get out of if you just would have handled it when it was small, when it was in your heart. See, this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that anger is a stepping stone or it is a footstool. It is a beginning place to a downward spiral. But a footstool, when you get this, you get this a stepping stone. You get this starting idea like a foundation that it is something that the enemy can build upon. Listen to this. Ephesians 4, 26 through 27. In your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Now, look, guys, I got to tell you, I grew up in a pretty wild family sometimes, okay? We, we were pretty wild and that uh, we were high-strung, if you will. We were, we were some folks that um, enjoyed robust dialogue. We had a family that was loud and direct and a lot of different things going on. But one of the things we, we tried our best to do, as angry as we could be, was to make sure we said before we left, I love you. Because you never know what can happen when somebody leaves you. You know, I think about even Kara and I. You know, we have an awesome relationship. But sometimes we're in the midst of some disagreements or things like that. But you know what? We make sure that we don't let the sun set on our wrath. We don't let the sun go down without making things right. Because God forbid we leave this world in our sleep even. There's unforgiveness there. You know, we live in this anger. And what happens is it's a stepping stool. 
It is a foothold. And that's what Scripture says, verse 27, the second part of Ephesians 4. And do not give the devil a foothold. Don't give him a place to put his foot in so that he can climb up all over and build and create a fortress, if you will, in your life out of just being angry. Because you're trying to give sacrifices at an altar unto God, but you've got unforgiveness in your heart. Jesus is saying, look, you've got to get these things straight. You've got to get this right. I know what's all, that, that's what all's happened to you. I know what you've been through. I know the hardships that you've experienced. But the thing is this, if you have anger in your life, it will lead to death. You will kill somebody off in your heart. You will kill somebody off in your mind before you have the opportunity to forgive them or maybe to receive forgiveness from them. Second thing that Jesus was saying, he says, anger makes you a fool. Anger makes you a fool. I love this one. This is actually pretty funny because you know Kara. She, she's a sweetheart. She, I, I love her. She is so gracious and so kind. She, she is, to me, the example of who God is. Just, just really amazing, you know? And it's funny because I'm the kind of guy, I'm a little high-strung, okay? I, remember I told you, I came from a family that was high-strung. We, we, we enjoy robust dialogue. And, and I'm also one of those people that I, I love things to work out perfect. And when they don't, you know, when I can't find things, say tools, you know, I'm always looking for my tools, you know? When I, I like to work with my hands, I like to do things like that. And sometimes I'm just looking for this one thing. And when I can't find it, I get frustrated. I get angry. Does anybody, do you understand where I'm coming from here? If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. All of a sudden, you've placed something in one place, and it's it's not there to be found ever again. Listen to me. It happens. And, and Kara's so great. She's so precious with me. You know, because when I get angry, I start making, I start talking in British accents and, and stupid things like that because I get so frustrated. And she just looks at me, and she's like, you a fool. You are acting like a fool. She doesn't say that exactly. But it's it's true. I look like a dang fool when I am acting out like this. That's what anger does to you. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the laps of fools. We pet that thing. We love on anger like it's our own little baby, like this cute little kitty cat, anger. We love anger. You know what I mean? We keep it on our... No, you have to get rid of this because you're the one that looks like a fool when you act out of it. Listen to me this. Jesus says... That anger kills righteousness. It kills the right standing before God that we should have. Anger kills righteousness. It gets us out of the right place before God. Proverbs 29, 11, Fools give full vent to their rage. Full vent. They live this thing out. They let it come on out and look like... And what happens in this is it separates us from God. But the wise bring calm in the end which is what we find in him, a calmness. When we're in right standing, things are calm. When he's standing right beside us and us standing right next to him, it brings a calmness to the situation and anger will subside. But when you're acting like a fool and you give full, full vent to your rage, you see that you're not standing behind him anymore. You're standing in a different place that you never thought you would be, separate from him and the people that love you. The last thing that Jesus says is this, that anger robs your inheritance. It takes away from you what is rightfully yours. Psalm 37, 8 through 9. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. See, but if we fall prey to our anger and we turn to wrath... 
The exact opposite will happen. We will lose our inheritance. But if we turn to the Lord, that if we have our hope in the Lord, we will inherit the land. You can't help what has happened to you. But I'm going to tell you this, that God still has an inheritance for his kids. If we allow all this stuff to influence us moving forward, you know, if we, if we get caught up in lies. See, see, Jesus is saying here that how are you going to change with all this stuff? Are you going to get caught up in lies or will you be someone, you know, that is truthful, that says yes and says no, that is trustworthy? Are you going to be someone that acts like me? Are you going to be someone that, that struggles with lust in this way? Because I can tell you that full grown, it will lead to death. Or will you choose purity? It's up to you. Are you someone that will be broken by divorce or broken by relationships? Or will you allow Jesus to restore you? Are you someone that will live in calamity? that will live in craziness, or will you be someone that lives in peace? So the conclusion of today, what I'm asking is, what is your life speaking? What's your response? Will you say, I will speak truth? I will choose purity. I will choose restoration. I will live in peace. What do you want your life to speak? It's up to you. Again, you can't help what's happened before, but you can help who you live with going forward, whose heart is in you and who has your heart. Does Jesus have your heart? See, he said all of this out of love, not to condemn, but to redeem, to let you know how much he loves you and that he wants you to have truth and live through truth and live in purity and to be completely restored, not to be broken, tattered, or to be thrown away, but to also walk in his peace. What will you choose today? Allow him to heal you from the inside out. Choose Jesus. Start a relationship with him. Just ask, forgive me of what I've done, what I know and what I don't know. I repent. I turn from that and I turn from you. And then you say, I will speak truth. I will choose purity. I will choose restoration. I will live in peace.